It's 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. So here we are on our last virtual hustings uh, before the elections on May the 6th. We've got a impressive rack of three candidates uh, joining us this evening. Um, so we'll be introducing those in a moment. Um, so first off, I'm just going to explain uh, how how the uh, proceedings will work. And then I'll hand over to Ian to discuss um, some stats for the ward. And then we'll get straight to the opening statements. So... Um, the candidates in the Central South Sea Ward um, that we've got um, tonight, uh, we have uh, Charlie Douglas from the Conservative Party, Charlotte Gerarda from the Labour Party. Um, so these are all the names on the on the ballot that you'll see. Um, Tamara Groen is for the Green Party and <coughs> Steve Pitt for the Liberal Democrats. And um, we have three of the four candidates with us this evening. So questions um, that we'll be asking to all of the candidates this evening have been submitted in advance via the event on Facebook, by email. Um, and if there's time, we may also accept um, uh, any fresh questions from the comments section um, on the live stream. But we do have a full, uh, a full list of questions, so uh, please do um, expect that. Um, all of the questions have been chosen by Ian and myself, um, and they're ones that are applicable to the ward or to the city, and they are, or they are ones that can, um, sorry, and they are also ones that we can ask to all of the candidates, as per the rules that we've posted um, in advance of the hustings. Um, so we've selected those. Um, the candidates will ask answer the questions um, in a randomised order. Um, but we will give them a two-minute response time for each question, um, and they will also have the opportunity to use a 60-second rebuttal once all of the candidates have, an have answered that question. Uh, the candidates, um, the order that the candidates are um, answer questions has been um, randomised by um, by a highly technical um, Excel tool um, and by the coin toss that took place prior to us going live. All of the candidates have an option of a three-minute opening and three-minute closing speech. Candidates that aren't able to make it this evening but have responded to us um, were given the option to submit written or pre-recorded statements um, I can say at this point that, uh, that we do not have um, have any statements from uh, from tomorrow uh, as the hustings are going to be held by zoom um, in order to prevent interruptions and make sure that each candidate can be heard um, we may need to mute um, the person that's not meant to be speaking um, but unless that happens we'll leave the microphones open because it helps with the flow of the evening uh, candidates will be given two minutes to say to answer the question and then their rebuttal. Um, but the easy, um, the best thing to, for us to remember about this evening is that we're not here to pit the candidates uh, against each other. The election is already doing that. We're merely here to give the voters a chance to have their questions put to the candidates and hear all of the all of the candidates answer those questions. So we're not in the business of declaring a vote um, a loser or a winner today. Our hope is that by being able to hear their responses, you, the voters, are the winners. Ian. Thank you, Simon. So just to ensure absolute clarity, we approached the Green Party um, who said they would not be able to attend. We offered them the opportunity to either produce a written or recorded statement. They did not answer that response. So we will work with the three um, great candidates we've got today. And as I've done with every ward, I've looked at the stats and we'll just quickly run through the tail of the tape. This one's the big one. It's the first time we've got all three of the major parties together on the hustings. 
And we've got the incumbent, Steve Pitt, who won in 2016 with a very healthy 17% winning margin over Labour and is now the deputy council leader. But you can't rely on this ward for a predictable outcome as the next year, um, the vote flipped over and George Fielding, who has just been announced as the new leader of the Labour group on the council, won quite comfortably. Um, last time out, um, Charlotte stood as the Labour candidate and fell just a little short, but her vote share of 32% in most wards in this city would have been enough to win. So, you know, there, there's a very volatile um, backdrop in this ward. It would be fair to say that it has not been the happiest hunting ground for the Conservatives, but will the fresh-faced Charlie Douglas motivate a new breed of voter ahead of these season's campaigners? We don't know. That's for the people of Central South Sea to decide. So based on that, it's now time for our opening statements. And I'd like to invite Charlotte Gerada of Labour to open up. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ian. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. My name is Charlotte Gerada, and I'm running as the Labour candidate for Central South. Sea. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook if you want to find out more about my campaign. I just want to say I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak. Um, I've watched other podcasts and it was very professionally done and thoughtful. Um, so I think it's a real credit to the city that we have a level of debate like this when it comes to local elections. So thank you both to Simon and Ian for inviting me along. A little bit about me. I was born in Portsmouth. My mum was a seamstress and my dad was a bus driver. I was raised in Portsmouth and went to Corpus Christi and St Edmunds schools. I moved to London to study at the London School of Economics on a scholarship um, and then I went on to another university to study a master's um, and went on to work in the charity sector for about a decade. Um, then almost three years ago I moved back with my partner and we now live on Lawrence Road with our French bulldog um, Gino who you'll see me walking around Southie with. Um, we decided to move back to lay roots and settle nearer to family and I'm so happy to be back because I love Pompey. Um, from our beautiful seafront to our thriving independent businesses that make Southsea a joy to walk around to our really strong sense of community. We really are a strong island indeed. Um, but that said, I think despite Portsmouth and Southsea being a wonderful place to live, that's generally in spite of and not because of political decision-making. And that's something that's become increasingly apparent over time and made me want to run for public office. I personally think we could be much more ambitious around responding to the climate emergency, reviving our high streets and supporting our local economy. And these are some of the key issues that I'd be keen to work on if elected. I'm very active in the local community. I co-founded the Mutual Aid Group in response to the pandemic that has over 10,000 members and supported countless residents who've been struggling in isolation over the last year. I'm a school governor and I'm an environmental campaigner. Um, I recently co-founded Pompey Living Streets, which is all about bringing community together on our streets, greening our city and encouraging forms of active travel. Um, recently, I was really honoured to receive the um, Pomodzi Inspirational Women of Portsmouth Award in recognition for my work in the community. So I'm really hoping to get elected so I can do even more to support our brilliant community. Um, after an unprecedented year, it's time for an ambitious vision and fresh ideas for Central Southsea. And that's something I guarantee to provide if elected as councillor next week. Thank you. 
Thank you, Charlotte. And now can I invite Charlie Douglas from the Conservatives? Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Um, I'm Charles Douglas, or as many of you know me as Charlie. I'm the official candidate for Central Southsea Ward for the Conservative Party. Uh, my family has lived in Central Southsea for generations, uh, four to be precise. Um, so I'm definitely a local and know the area. I've been campaigning for proper consultation in Central Southsea for four years now, and I, I, and that was even before I could vote myself. Um, I'm currently a student at Portsmouth University, so I have a really good insight to how this ward is evolving along with the city as the university grows and expands. Um, I'm also working with Penny Mordaunt, the Member of Parliament for Portsmouth North. Um, working with Penny and her team of the uh, Conservative councillors has meant some good wins across Portsmouth North. Um, and I hope to translate this into the south of the city to, to help local residents. Um, when elected, I look forward to having the opportunity to serve the residents of Central Southsea and work with them to ensure they are properly consulted, represented and many issue, over many issues that they may face in the ward. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. And last, by no means least, Steve Pitt from the Liberal Democrats. Thank you, Ian. Hi, I'm Steve Pitt and I'm standing as a Liberal Democrat for election in Central Southsea Ward on Thursday after five years as a councillor. My family have long links with Portsmouth, going back over 100 years. My dad's family were Italian immigrants who forged a new life in, for themselves in the city. And I'm proud that my great-grandparents' busts are still to be seen carved in stone on Edinburgh Road. My dad worked in the dockyard for much of my life, and my mum was a self-employed dance teacher, working out of my nan's house in Francis Avenue. I have two sisters who still live locally, a younger brother who recently relocated to London, and I live with my partner, Diane, our much-loved cockapoo Finn in Westfield Road. My life has been rich and varied. I went to school at Corpus Christi, same as Charlotte, and then to St John's uh, and then on to Portsmouth Poly just as it was becoming a uni. I ran projects for Whitbreads, hosted quiz nights at the Festing for nearly a decade, worked in and managed local pubs and clubs, including the RMA Club, before landing at the cellars at Eastney where I remained for nearly 18 years, developing it as an established music venue for the area. I've directed gar charity galas at the Kings and New Theatre Royal and, and uh, theatre in various other city venues and hosted charity quizzes at the Wedgwood Rooms. For a number of years, alongside programming shows for the sellers, also did freelance agent tour management work for a number of artists, including Nick Kershaw and Chesney Hawks, before stepping back to concentrate on my full-time work as a councillor and cabinet member for cultural leisure and economic development at PCC, where I'm also deputy leader. For six years, I chaired the city's culture partnership and forged strong relationships across the cultural and creative community, which have enabled me to gain a deep understanding of what needs to be done to raise up our venues and creatives and help them to thrive. My other work as a cabinet member has also seen me forced to grasp the nettle of sorting out some of our shocking leisure facilities and make tough decisions, which will ultimately provide better provision, less dependent on large subsidies and of a standard that I believe our residents deserve. I've led on kickstarting the We Create Market at Debenhams, the Council's crowdfunder scheme, the business support package to help businesses through the pandemic, have been the main contact point for the Hive and responsible for making sure that they had the resources they need to help keep our community safe during the crisis. I backed Susie Horton, my ward colleague, to make sure that uh, the Council was getting making the case for early years staff to have COVID tests and for teachers to be vaccinated as soon as possible. As part of the Lib Dem team, I've secured funding to empower communities to develop greening schemes, campaign with Susie Horton for play streets to be rolled out across the city, ensure we're investing in our historic buildings, being the council lead on the landing craft tank project, regeneration of the King's Theatre, 
saving the new theatre royal, securing millions from the Football Foundation to improve facilities across the city, supported Darren Sanders in his work to provide proper accommodation and support for our homeless community and chaired the cross-party working group on the sea defences. The work is varied and interesting, frustrating, challenging and hugely rewarding. It needs a huge amount of commitment and it's been my honour to serve our city and Central South East Ward for the last five years and I would be honoured to be returned to continue to serve on the 6th of May. Thank you, Steve. And over to Simon for the first question. Okay, so our, our first question, um, and this goes first to Charlie. Um, with turnouts notoriously low in local elections, what are you doing to encourage turnout? Well, actually, in the past few years, we've seen the turnout increase for local elections in many areas nationally. Um, and I think that's mostly down to active campaigning and people seeing that they have a choice when it comes to local elections. But first and foremost, I think that candidates have to give people a reason to go out and vote. We need to be promoting our own reasons why someone should vote for us. The turnout is predicted to be a bit higher this year for this super set of elections. So I really look forward to seeing how the turnout is because obviously it's it's very important that people engage in democracy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and the same question to Charlotte, please. Thank you. High turnouts in elections are really important and I'm sure it's something all the candidates agree on. The higher the turnout of all elections, the healthier our democracy. Then in terms of what Portsmouth Labour has been doing specifically, um, we've been speaking to voters, obviously mainly on the phone during the last year because of the pandemic, but also more recently on the doorstep. We've been engaging with lots of community groups, small businesses and creatives about the election. We've been sharing printed materials across the ward. We've been promoting the elections and key deadlines on our website and on social media, such as the deadline for registering to vote and registering for a postal vote. Um, obviously, with the added challenge this year of COVID-19, we've been really pushing for more residents to sign up for postal votes, um, which is obviously super helpful for those who've been shielding um, in the case of people having to self-isolate or the concern that they might get unwell and then can't turn up at the polling stations or obviously for our shift workers and key workers. Um, with the specifics of the local elections, we need to impress on people how important local elections are. This is something all parties should collaborate on because councils, especially unitary authorities like ours, have a lot of power to change people's lives for the better. Ultimately, that can only happen, happen at a national level, um, but I think we need to be creative and think, think about things at the national level that, that might help drive up um, turnout. So, you know, things like having a national holiday for elections or voting over two days instead of one or voting at the weekend like in other European countries. 20 seconds. Um, more can be done about um, encouraging people from working class minority communities to vote. And we should be more imaginative about how we can drive up turnout in elections. And that's something I'd seek to do if elected. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. And lastly, to Steve. Thanks, Simon. Uh, every year, all year, uh, Susie and I talk to people across our ward. Uh, it's been harder this year due to the COVID restrictions, but we've still been able to hold direct conversations with thousands of local people in Central Southsea Ward. We don't just talk to our supporters, we engage with residents who have a range of political allegiances and are always clear that once elected, we're there for everyone. We always remind people when the elections are and encourage them to go out and vote. 
we also stay in touch all year round through our ward newsletters. And this year, we've been encouraging people to sign up for postal votes to ensure that COVID would not be a bar to anyone accessing the democratic process. I've always passionately believed that civics should be taught in school, throughout school, to help people to understand the importance of democracy and what each part of government is able to do and should be doing on behalf of the people who elect our representatives. Uh, I think it's a huge gap in this country. Uh, It happens in many other countries. Uh, And that lack of understanding about the process and about what it is that councils are responsible for, I think is largely responsible for the low turnouts that we have. Too many people just do not understand how important it is to vote locally. Uh, And uh, that's something that I'd like to see at a a national level change. Uh, As a local party, we are making sure that all of those same messages that Charlotte referred to are going out through our website as well. Uh, And we've posted all the key deadlines to try and encourage as many people as possible to be able to vote on the 6th of May. Thank you very much. Um, Would any of you like to come back with a 60 second rebuttal to any of the responses of the other candidates? Excellent. That was that one was easy then. Fantastic. Ian. So in 1918, the first female councillor, Kate Edmonds, was elected to Portsmouth City Council. In the next hundred plus years, what has your party done to ensure that we have full diversity in the council chamber? And I'll ask that first to Steve. Thanks, Ian. Uh, I can't speak for most of the last hundred years because I wasn't around, but I will talk specifically about what we've been doing more recently. And as a Lib Dem team, we're always actively looking for good candidates to stand for us, regardless of sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, race or social background. It's very frustrating and disappointing for us that we do struggle to recruit enough women to stand as Lib Dems. We would definitely much rather have more Lib Dem women elected to the council, something might walk Sorry, We'd, Simon, did you say something? I didn't say I anything. Heard, sorry, I, I heard something come back at me, sorry. Oh. Uh, more lived in women elected to the council, something my ward colleague Susie Horton is working very hard to achieve. This year is particularly challenging for us because we are defending eight of the 14 seats on the council and all eight of those seats are held by male councillors who were elected in 2016. However, Councillor Will Purvis has decided to stand down after nine years to spend more time with his family and we're thrilled that well-known local campaigner uh, Kimberly Barrett is standing for us in Milton Ward. Kimberly will be an exceptional councillor and we're hoping that she will inspire more Lib Dem women to come forward for this year's uh, next year's elections. Uh, although not can, uh, not candidates and something people not, might not be aware of, our local party president, local party chair and campaign committee chair are all women. And they are extremely effective and powerful in those roles. I'm personally working hard to reach out to underrepresented groups within the city, forging strong relationships and the hope we can get some great people to come forward and stand for council. Their voices need to be heard and they already give so much to our communities, something that has uh, had a light shone on it during COVID and long may that continue. Working closely with Kadir in my own ward in recent times has been incredibly enjoyable and I hope he will decide to stand for council next year. And we obviously have hopes for Yaya Chowdhury and Charles Dickens and Barath Terra in Copna this year. The Lib Dems have always championed LGBTQ plus issues uh, and Gerald, Chris, David and Lee are strong voices in our group, which has an excellent track record of campaigning on LGBTQ plus rights. And I am hoping that my good friend Stuart Brown will be joining us on the council for Fratton Ward on the 6th of May. Thank you, Steve. And can I ask that same question to Charlie? 
Uh, well, of course, first and foremost, I think that the person who is best for the job should do it, um, regardless of sex, gender and etc. Um, we're fortunate enough to have uh, female Conservative councillors going back forever, not to mention the first female council leader in Donna Jones, uh, the first female city MP in Penny Morden, and the first female defence secretary, um, and the first two female British prime ministers in the Conservative Party. Um, we also have a wealth of LGBTQI plus uh, councillors in Portsmouth. Um, and we are currently have four LGBTIQA plus um, candidates running this year. One issue that I'm sure we can all agree on, um, and I am fortunate enough to have not experienced, um, is the abuse that females get when in, in position of power. Um, our two Paulsgrove female councillors um, are an example who are constantly under attack to the point where the party has had to make reports to the police. This isn't acceptable and it's obviously going to put uh, women off standing in power um, so that more needs to be done on issues like that. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. And finally, Charlotte. Thank you. Diversity is hugely important in public life and having representatives who reflect the people they represent isn't just some sort of bolt on or an afterthought. It's a prerequisite for effective problem solving as a society. So from issues for things like childcare, discrimination and housing. I think very few people would think it's good or positive that at the moment 10 out of 42 councillors are currently women. Um, you might find people who thinks it, think it's excusable or maybe fine or okay to improve slowly, but I don't think anyone would say this makes our council better at problem solving. And that's one of the reasons why I want to change it. I'm really proud that as of the 2019 general election, Labour has a 50-50 split of men to women MPs. And in terms of what we've done in Portsmouth, I'm equally as proud that Portsmouth Labour achieved 50-50 gender parity across our candidates. And we've got diversity in all senses, in age, ethnic background, LGBT plus, disabilities, key workers, class. We have Kirsty Miller, who is a domestic violence survivor, and Craig Withy, who's a veteran. Um, you've got Nikki Coles, who's a mum of three and a renter, and Georgia Hancock, who's a trans woman. Um, and I'd like to just um, finish with this. Striving for diversity isn't part of some woke agenda that the Daily Mail would have a panic attack over. The simple reality is these candidates reflect the diversity of our city. This is what Portsmouth looks like and we can't solve these problems unless we have people who are familiar with those problems. So I'm really proud to be standing um, as a Pompey woman. Um, I've done a number of things um, to try and encourage more women to get involved in our community. I recently held an event to celebrate Pompey women and I'm looking to launch uh, a new network for women across Portsmouth because I think that's missing. So that will be coming in in the coming months. Thank you, Charlotte. Would anybody like to add any other comments? In which case, Simon. Excellent. OK, so question three. Um, and this question first goes to Charlotte. Which electoral laws that apply to local elections would you seek to change if you had the power? Thank you, Simon. So this is a really big issue for me, and I hope that we can build some consensus across all the political parties and residents in Portsmouth. 
I think the system we have at present of three elections every four years makes for bad politics. It's overly expensive and it doesn't give councillors a mandate to deliver on their promises. For me, the number one thing we can do to improve politics, and it would save money, would be to have an election every four years where all of the councillors would be voted for at the same time. Um, voting every three years is a relic and it doesn't work for anybody. You know, we have it in places like London. You know, why can't we have it here too? Thank you very much. Um, and the same question to Steve, please. Um, this is always an interesting one for me because my degree was in politics. So, uh, and it's why I was drawn to the Liberal Party uh, as it was back then in the 1980s, uh, mainly because of the injustice I saw in the 1983 general election. The Tories won it with a landslide of 397 seats. Labour came second on 209 their worst electoral defeat since 1935, only surpassed by their recent 2019 result. And the SDP Liberal Alliance won 23 seats, a 144-seat majority for the Tories. I'd seen what the impact of the Tory government had been on both my dad and my granddad being made redundant from the dockyard. I couldn't understand how they'd won so overwhelmingly, so I got interested and started to research. The Tories won 397 out of 650 seats, but with only 42.4% of the vote. Labour won 27.6% of the vote to win 209 seats. But it was the SDP Liberal Alliance figures which shocked me. They won only 23 seats, but secured 25.4% of the vote. The Alliance won 23 seats to Labour's 209, with only 2.2% less of the vote. I believe then, and I believe now, that any modern democracy worth its salt would be ashamed of such inequality created by its electoral system. I joined the Electoral Reform Society in 1986. Until we have electoral reform, this country is consigned to be saddled with the Yabu politics of Labour and the Tories, themselves each ridden with factionalism, holding together coalitions within their ranks purely to overcome the inequalities caused by first-past-the-post. What have Ken Clark and Michael Gove actually got in common politically? Jeremy Corbyn and Tony Blair. With electoral reform, these dinosaur parties will break up and we will have sensible government from the middle ground which I believe is what the British people really need and Ten deserve. Seconds. So I would start by changing our electoral system for local elections as a stepping stone to changing the way we elect national governments. And the one thing I would not do, uh, as Labour had proposed in the last couple of their budgets, was to change to 40 yearly elections, because I would remind them that that would have meant that in 2014, when the uh, Conservatives took control of the city and UKIP surged, we would have had a very large UKIP uh, group on Portsmouth City Council, and I believe that would have been incredibly detrimental to this city. So the problem with four yearly elections is they can be vulnerable to sudden uh, issue rises at certain times that can distort the electoral process for the next four years. And I did not want to see that happen in Portsmouth then, and I would not want to see it happen in future. Thank you, Steve. Okay, and the uh, same question to Charlie, please. Um, people who break electoral laws should be more harshly punished um, and electoral law should be better delegated to the election officers together with the police and electoral commission to deal with those candidates swiftly where it's evidence they have broken electoral law. But apart from that, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think the local returning officer and team always seems to do a good job throughout the elections and the counts well organized and smooth it can't be an easy job so thank you for to them for all they do to ensure the election runs smoothly thank you 
Thank you very much. Um, would any of you like to take a 60 second rebuttal to any of the other responses? Okay, um, thank you very much. Um, and that's then on to Ian. So it's been reported that plans exist to remove parking in Albert Road and to close Festing Road to cars. What would the candidate say about these comments as that's just on the edge of, of your, well, it's just outside your ward, but on the edge of your ward? And can I ask that first to Charlie? I think it's definitely a concern for residents as there will be a massive impact on businesses, people's day-to-day -day life and small independent traders and so forth. Uh, we've already seen the bonkers plan go ahead in Elm Grove stopped after the Conservatives and Labour campaigned against it with local businesses. So I really hope it doesn't go forward. Um, and from the surveys that we've taken to local residents, local residents don't want it. They're not happy with the idea of it. So it should not go forth. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. And Steve? Oh, I'm so pleased this question's on here tonight. I've been waiting to be able to say something about this for several weeks, ever since uh, the leaflets started appearing about this. So I'm going to be really clear. The council officers bring forward all sorts of ideas all the time, put different things into consultations as examples and, uh, and trail ideas with the administration, because that's actually how we end up selecting the things that we can take forward. But that is not the same as the administration actually implementing them. I can categorically state that there are no plans whatsoever to remove parking on Albert Road, which would undermine the viability of our important local traders. And the example idea of closing Festing Road to cars is equally silly and will not be happening under a Lib Dem administration. We saw from the Elm Grove cycle lane trial that such ideas are not the solution for our cycling traffic and air quality issues. They simply divide communities and cause local businesses to suffer, and that is not acceptable. We do have to find solutions that improve cycling and walking routes across our city, but we have to do it in a way that is not going to harm local businesses and cause unnecessary disruption and cause residents to not even be able to park outside their own houses. So we will not be bringing those schemes forward. We were never bringing those schemes forward. And the Conservatives knew that all too well when they produced their leaflets, but they had nothing else to say. Thank you, Steve. And Charlotte. Thank you, Ian. Um, just to clarify, Portsmouth Labour Party weren't opposed to, um, you know, Elm Grove cycle lane or the, the idea of it or the existence of it. Um, what we were frustrated with, like residents and businesses, was the lack of consultation and how it was delivered, um, which, um, yeah, it wasn't delivered well, it was delivered poorly. So just to clarify that. Um, I wanted to ask for this question, who, who reported that? Because the first I heard of this was when a South Sea resident stopped me in the street to ask if, if it was true. And I was told by that resident that this featured in a recent Conservative leaflet. However, there seems to be little evidence about the council undertaking any of these plans, as Steve has outlined, um, and no real reporting of them. Um, so as far as I can tell, these plans, plans are a false assertion, which is a shame because the more false assertions we have to deal with, the less time we have to talk about the problems that we all want to solve. Um, and we're doing that right now. Um, you know, we could be talking about issues that matter to people rather than a bit of made up, bit of gossip. Um, so I don't have anything more to say on this. Thank you, Charlotte. 
would any of you like to use your 60 seconds to come back on any of the points made? In which case, I'll hand you over to Simon. Excellent. Well, that question nicely segues into question five. Transparent planning, genuine consultation and listening to all residents' concerns are important attributes for a councillor. How will you work to ensure that those are being met? Um, and that first goes to Charlotte. Um, sorry, am I beg your pardon? That first goes to Steve, sorry. Thanks, Simon. Uh, as I said earlier, listening to residents is at the heart of what I do as a local councillor. Uh, and over the last very difficult year, the council has still managed to engage with over 25,000 local people through a number of consultations. Of course, we always want more people to respond and get involved, which is why when I became deputy leader of the council in 2018, I said that we were going to go out into our communities and talk to people directly about the annual budget consultation. We went to supermarkets, high streets, leisure centres and community centres from South Sea to and as a result, the response is almost doubled. The result was similar in 2019. Sadly, having to do everything online limited us during COVID, but we will be back out and about across the city over the next year, meeting people, talking to them, listening to their concerns and ideas, and feeding them back into our decision-making. I just want to touch on the pyramids, though. I absolutely understand that it was a shock to announce that the pool had to close, but there was a briefing of all political groups prior to any announcement being made. No one raised any concerns. In fact, the Conservative group leader said, you don't need to convince me about the pool. And the Labour spokesperson who was present was also fine with the proposals. So the other parties were consulted prior to any announcement. So I spent hours online answering all these questions in great detail, explaining what had happened, and despite the facing personal abuse and threats, continued to do so. Sometimes it is necessary to make a tough decision and not undertake a fake consultation to pretend that there is an alternative when there isn't, which is what others were saying we should have done, when everyone knows full well that the finances just did not allow it. Cutting other services by £700,000 a year just to keep the pyramids open was simply not an option. Consultation has to be real, not a manufactured process to let people down gently. The public deserve honesty, regardless of how unpalatable it might be, not warm words about reviewing things and how they would have done it differently without ever suggesting that they would have actually kept the pool open, which, let's be clear, no political party in Portsmouth has proposed to do. Thank you very much. Um, and I'm sorry, I've just lost my place then for a second. Um, and then the same question, please, to Charlotte. Thank you, Simon. Um, so politicians are there to solve problems and hopefully not create any new ones. To solve problems, you need to get buy-in from people. And if you're going to implement changes, you need a measure of consensus. If you're going to implement cycling infrastructure or change planning regulation, it can't be fast-tracked or go unexplained. And I'm not saying you do things when you only have 100% of people agreeing with you, because that's almost impossible. But I do think as we try to build Portsmouth back better uh, after COVID, some of the decisions we've seen have failed when it comes to transparency and consulting those affected, like the Bodge cycle lane on Elm Grove, and the sudden closure of the pyramids and the clean air zone that's nearly not as ambitious as it needs to be. And on the pyramids, councillors were told that there was absolutely no room for discussion and no involvement of other councillors. There was a poll from Ipsos Mori last year, which found that two thirds of the public 
think that the climate crisis is as important as coronavirus. And we have 40,000 deaths a year from air pollution. People want livable cities, a high quality of life. They want effective, efficient public services. And I think there's a lot more agreement on where Portsmouth could be going than we sometimes think. But you can't get that until you have proper deliberation and politicians listening. And I think that's something I excel at. I've got strengths at project management. When I was at Shelter, I got an extra 125 million in the 2017 autumn budget for renters. And I believe in public service. I genuinely believe the best answers to collective problems come from the bottom up. And I will always prioritize listening and consulting with residents, workers, and businesses. Sandhurst has a motto, which I really admire. To serve is to lead. And I look at elected officials as people who should view themselves as servants. They shouldn't be in it for status or money. They should be in it to help their community. And if you can't transparently and by building consensus, then I don't think you're a leader. Thank you, Charlotte. And lastly, to Charlie. Um, I think first and foremost, we need to get the planning department back up and running. It's not functioning currently and residents and developers are experiencing bad delays of many months, the most basic processes and tasks. Uh, these problems crept in long before the pandemic and despite assurances to the city MP by the chief exec that these issues would be resolved, they appear to be getting worse. At this point, we don't know if it's a staffing issue, incompetent managers or poor political leadership or a mixture of all three, but something needs to be changed as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, would any of you like to use your 60 second rebuttal? Uh, yes, please, Simon. Just um, to respond to what Charlie said there, um, improvements are being made all the time and they are catching up with things. And yes, there were delays prior to COVID because of a nitrates issue, which is affecting the whole of the Solent area. And Portsmouth was one of the first councils to actually find a solution to be able to start granting planning applications again, which we did quite effectively. Unfortunately, just as that backlog was starting to be cleared, COVID hit and that has caused significant issues. Uh, no excuses. It's absolutely a priority. It has to be caught up with and dealt with. Um, and it's very important that this city is able to help build its way back out of uh, uh, post-COVID and uh, those manual skills, which we have so many people in the city who depend on their incomes for, need to be fully deployed. And we can only do that if we're actually getting on and building stuff. So it is a priority. It is important, but it is certainly not being ignored. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Um, uh, and just to clarify, was... come back. Sure. Charlotte? Um, just with the pyramids, like we understand difficult decisions have to be made and, you know, councils are cash strapped, largely obviously because of the coalition government in 2010 and then completely underfunding councils. But we are where we are. So we understand that difficult decisions have to be made. And the point is, you might even come to the same conclusion that you would have done, you know, no matter what. But the point is, you have to take people with you. And for people to wake up and find out that the pyramids was going to be closed as a pool literally overnight was a huge shock. And like, you know, I, I used to go there for my parties as a child, like lots of other people did. And for people, that was their main pool. Um, so I think not taking people, not sort of consulting people, not making people more aware of that. And also the idea of a soft play. Where has that come from? Where was the consultation? Where, you know, who was seconds. crying out for another soft play area? There's just a lot of unanswered questions. And I think it's really important to just take people with you and involve people in your decision making. Thank you, Charlotte. On to the next question, Ian. 
So at this point, to all three of you, I want you to be very unpoliticiany at this point. So I'm going to ask you to be specific. What specifically are the biggest issues facing the residents of Central South Sea? And I'm going to ask that first to Charlotte. Um, I just want to start by saying that it's a real privilege to live in Southsea. I love it here and that's because of the tremendous sense of community and residents on the whole really love living here too. Um, on the doorstep I get lots of feedback about how great Southsea is but I also get clear feedback about how we can make our area even better. Um, basically when I talk to residents it's much as the same as the national story and there are concerns about things like social care, access to dentists and GPs, education. But what I'm hearing specifically in relation to Central South Sea, which totally fits with my experiences of living here as well, are about the environment and quality of life, road safety in particular. There's been a number of um, cars that have flipped in one corner of the ward. Um, there's a nursery that was um, hit twice in a short space of time. There are real issues around speeding cars and residents are concerned rightly about their safety. Um, there is also concern about the viability of the high street because re local people really care about our businesses. Um, so in many ways, there are real profound connections between these issues. Greener, more sustainable high streets that are easier to access, are better for residents and businesses alike, safer roads, less traffic congestion and better air quality. And it's easy to see how these are integrated issues, which in a way is positive um, because it means they share the same routes and it makes them somewhat easier to address. Thank you, Charlotte. Same question to Charlie. On the doorstep, um, one of the main issues that people are still talking about uh, is parking issues. Um, other issues include littering, dog fouling, um, HMOs. Uh, Anti-social behaviour is a big one for people because it can affect someone's life so drastically in such a short amount of time. Um, I'm really looking forward to being elected and actually help working out these issues with the residents. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Steve. Thanks, Ian. Uh, litter, dirty forecourts, antisocial behaviour, drug dealing, poorly run HMOs and super HMOs, parking and green issues. Uh, the law precludes us as a council from clearing dirty forecourts, which is a huge frustration for Susie and I. And I want to toughen the rules around rented properties to find a quicker route to getting mess cleaned up. Susie and I have been working closely with the uni to get better messages out to the students around rubbish and recycling. It's not the students' fault. They come from all over the country and beyond and have different recycling schemes wherever they live. And that causes a lot of confusion when they come here to uni and our scheme is different to theirs at home. We go around talking to them, helping them, for which they're always grateful and trying to get things on track. However, with 3,000 people in the ward moving every year, it's a never-ending battle. We desperately need more community police on our streets. We doubled the number of community wardens, but ultimately it is the police who can impact on drug dealing, antisocial behaviour and other crime. They need the resources to make that happen as they are currently stretched far too thinly. I have a great relationship with officers across the city and I know they can do all they can, but we need more of them. In the meantime, both Susie and I continue to work extremely closely with residents within the community who are our eyes and ears and pass on intelligence to our police teams to try to crack down on criminal activity. We do have a lot of success. But there is so much more to do just to stay on top of it all. 
More positively, we launched the city's first play street in central Southsea, supporting an amazing local mum to get the centre section of Francis Avenue shut off for a few hours on a Sunday and we'll continue to work with her and with Andy from Wilder Portsmouth to use the community greening fund we introduced in this year's budget to make central Southsea as green as we can. We recently had new tree pits for additional trees on dug on Fawcett Road and this is something we want to roll out over the next year or so. Residents have been giving us a number of suggestions and all of these will be explored. Finally, we have introduced cycle hangers and want to bring in more of them and work with residents to look at reducing rat running, as we did with Francis Avenue, and improve routes for cycling and walking, all of which will help to improve air quality for the people who live in our area. Thank you, Steve. Any of you want to come back? And can I just give you feedback that you're all dreadful at being specific, but I always thought you would be. Simon, next question. Okay, so question seven, um, and this first uh, goes to Steve, is one in four women and one in six men are affected by domestic abuse in their lives. What would you do to make homes and our streets safer? Simon, can I just check you said me, because you broke up a little bit. Uh, I beg you, yes, yourself. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I didn't want to jump in otherwise. Uh, No one should have to live in fear of their physical or mental safety. No one. It's so important, and there's no simple answer to fix this. Horrific plague on our society, but ensuring that the council has services to support the victims of domestic violence, both male and female, is vital. We did secure additional funding recently to help expand that support, and we must always be looking for ways to do more. Having a network of safe spaces across the city where women in particular are able to take refuge and get help is another key element that needs to be developed further. As a council... We're committed to working with our schools and networks to help build healthy relationships through the Is This Love campaign and working in particular through schools to identify issues, hopefully at the earliest stages. The question also referred to streets being safer, which is linked uh, uh, by a slightly different issue. Unlike many councils, we do keep our street lighting on all night and due to the successful LED rollout, most areas of the city are well lit after dark. However, there are some alleys, cut-throughs and public spaces which are not well enough lit and we need to work closely with our local communities to address these issues and find solutions. This also relates back to the point about more police on our streets because the coverage at night is even more problematic than it is during the day. If the next police and crime commissioner for Hampshire is someone from Portsmouth, they can be assured I will be knocking on their door very soon after the election. Thank you, Steve. Um, and then the same question to Charlie, please. First of all, I think it's a bit of a simplistic question to a very complex issue where every experience is unique and needs to be dealt with as such. Um, I'm proud to say the government has just introduced a domestic abuse bill, which will allow police to tackle more associated issues um, such as coercive control, revenge porn, take care of domestic violence victims and their children with the funding to support that family and create legal protections for victims through court. I also know that our police and crime commissioner candidate, Donna Jones, has been working, well, plans on working with the Home Office, Constabulary and obviously local government and the third sector to deal with domestic violence. I also think that tougher sentencing um, is required when it comes to domestic abuse and we need to clamp down on it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and last but not least, to Charlotte, please. 
Thanks, Simon. Domestic abuse is a major issue and we've seen a huge increase in the number of cases of domestic violence during the pandemic. And it's important to say it does affect men as well as women. Um, it's more likely that a female partner is subjected to this, but the scars and implications this has for children can mean the pain is repeated generationally. I know because I grew up in an abusive household, um, so it's something I understand well and know how important it is to address. In terms of how um, important this is to me personally, I recently successfully campaigned with Kirsty Meller, the Labour candidate for Charles Dickens, to sign up Portsmouth City Council to the White Ribbon campaign. Um, if you want to know more about that, you could, I posted a video on my Instagram a few weeks ago, so go and check that out. Um, obviously, we are challenged about how much we can do on this, given the significant cuts from national government over the last 11 years. Particularly between 2010 and 2015, um, the coalition government made some really bad mistakes and um, around austerity, and, they, and this has impacted some of the most vulnerable people in our society, including domestic violence survivors. That was shameful. Uh, and ultimately, to reverse that and to get bet better funding for domestic violence survivors, I think we need a Labour government at Westminster. However, there is still more that we can do at a local level. If elected, I would call for Portsmouth City Council to conduct a safety audit where public lighting will be assessed and improved and street art um, will be installed to celebrate women and girls. I will always fight for well-funded public, um, well-funded domestic violence, rape crisis, and sexual assault provision. Twenty seconds. And um, it's one of our key Labour Party manifesto promises to reinstate a hate crime unit to get support if you've been a, a victim of prejudice. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, would anybody like to make use of their sixty-second rebuttal? Excellent, Ian. This one made us very happy about the level of political engagement in from our younger listeners. Uh, so James and his friends are just about to finish at Crane's Water and move on to Priory School. Um, so James has asked, what school did you attend and what makes or what does this give you to be a, what have you learned to be a serving councillor um, from what you learned at school? And we'll ask this first to Charlotte. Thank you, Ian. Um, firstly, thanks to James for the brilliant question. Um, it's great to hear that you're going to secondary school in September. I didn't have the pleasure of going to primary school, but some of my closest friends did. Um, so I'm sure you have a great time. Um, and obviously Stephen Morgan MP went there too. So you're among really good company. Um, for primary school, I went to Corpus Christi and for secondary school, I went to St. Edmunds, both Catholic state schools. Um, then I went to college at South Downs um, and after that went on to the London School of Economics to do a degree and um, I went to University College London to do a master's. I was the first person in my family to go to university and I was fortunate enough to secure LSE's most generous scholarship which meant I could actually afford to move to London. So it's wonderful to see that James is at the start of his journey and it's really exciting. In terms of what I learned at school, coming from Portsmouth which is a working class city, my dad was a bus driver um, my mum a seamstress. Um, at school, you had kids from all sorts of backgrounds um, and that taught me the importance of listening to others, being able to get on with people and live with difference. Uh, it served me really well when I went to places like the LSE and UCL because I knew that that wasn't the world. Um, and although I was one of the few working class people there, I knew that that wasn't the sort of, you know, reflection of wider society of, of, or of our country. 
my background, including where I went to school, has kept me really grounded and it has allowed me to keep perspective in life. So I'm really grateful that I went to the schools that I went to. Thank you, Charlotte. Same question to Steve. Thanks, Ian. Uh, I was very lucky after Corpus Christi. I went to St. John's College uh, on what used to be called an assisted place. Uh, even so, my mum and dad worked very long hours in order to afford their contribution towards my school fees. I'd been bullied relentlessly at junior school, and it was important for me to get away to a different environment. I thrived at St. John's, and it made me who I am today. I want every child to have the same good quality of education, and that is why I'm championing a programme of digital inclusion where no child is left behind, and why I'm so passionate about programmes such as the Summer Reading Challenge. Susie often mocks me because I start to get emotional when I talk about it. Post-COVID, we've got a huge amount of work to do to ensure that our children and young people are not disadvantaged by the disruption to their education, and it will be a big focus for me this year. The thing I learned at St John's was respect. We had boarders who came from all over the world, and our school was actually more diverse than the city itself was back then. It taught me that we're all the same, that titles and privilege are not things to be respected, but that it is our behaviour and how we treat others that earn respect. I gained a passion for culture and the arts, and that's developed into a passionate belief that every child and young person should have regular access to culture because it broadens horizons, raises aspirations, builds confidence, and gives us those soft skills that are just as important as the STEM subjects are to the living your best life, which everyone should have the right to do. Uh, and I'm really pleased that we got this question tonight from a young person. And I'm really pleased that it's Priory School that are working on the new signage for Fawcett Road. So um, keep getting engaged and uh, maybe one day we'll see you standing for local council. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Steve. And finally, Charlie. Thank you for the question, um, James and friends. Um, it's a brilliant question. Uh, I started at primary uh, primary school at St. Swivens, um, then moved on to St. Philip Howard, a secondary school, uh, then on to Haverton South Downs College, and now I'm at the University of Portsmouth. Um, the truth is you never stop learning. I think a good politician is open, listens and learns. That's how you grow. It's how you start to be able to effectively serve everybody. Um, and another thing that I learned at school, which I, I think would make me a great person to represent you is thinking outside the box. It's one of the things that I started doing in um, secondary school and it really helped me find the path that I wanted to move forward on. Um, I'll leave you with a uh, quote that Councillor Robert New often tells us is, um, and that's to stop being better is to stop being good. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody want to come back with a 60 second? Marvellous. Simon. Fantastic. Thank you. OK, so question nine. Um, with all parties seeing a large variation in their share of the vote in Central South Sea, I did, did read off some stats, but Ian told me it was too boring to read them all out, so I won't. It was done. Um, um, is the ward just fickle, or is it personality rather than party that's winning over voters in the ward? And that question first goes to Charlie. Oh, it doesn't. No. Oh yes, it does. Sorry. Hang on. Hey, you're hey, right. You. <laughs> Definitely, Charlie. Then. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, I think it's all of those things. If you're likable, have a good manifesto which appeals to people, and you're able to sell your policies and politics to voters, you increase your vote share. Um, I've always found the person who runs the best campaign is the person who's wins. So, 
Thank you. Okay. That was definitely a short answer. Um, and that next goes to Charlotte, please. Simon. I just wanted to start with disputing the premise of the question. And I think actually it's a bit unfair to the residents of Central South Sea. Um, I ran two years ago as a Labour candidate and got more than 1,200 votes, which normally would be enough to win. But Susie Horton was a strong campaigner and she was established here and it, it was a tight race. Um, then you go back a year earlier, George got over 1,700 votes and won. And then, of course, Stephen Morgan has won his seat twice in the last four years and increases majority at the last election. So I think although we've been um, through a really sort of um, dramatic period politically, you can see a clear shift to Labour in Portsmouth and in Central South Sea. And that's because people agree with what we stand for. Better public services, campaigning vision for the economy and climate and social justice. And I think that, we will, um, that that will continue after this election. And I think it's the direction of much of what the country's going in, because frankly, at the moment, both at both the local and the national level, people think we can be doing much better. So I don't think people prioritise person, personality. And I think the residents of Central South Sea are actually very thoughtful about who they elect. A lot of residents tell me that they make their decisions by studying all of the literature when it comes through their doors. So I don't think we're giving people enough credit for, by saying that they just decide who to vote for on a win. Somebody like Stephen Morgan has a really strong brand locally, and I don't think that's because of personality, um, but because of the political values that he embodies. He's open-minded, he's problem-solving, tolerant, hardworking, and community-minded. Um, something that inspires me and is something I would live up to as elected councillor. Thank you very much. Um, and the same question then to Steve, please. Oh, I don't think the world's fickle either. Uh, if you look at Lee Hunt's vote in 2018, Labour won, but Lee actually secured almost the same number of votes that I did in 2016. Uh, Susie had an upward bounce in her vote in 2019, securing that higher vote. But actually, if she'd secured the same vote as Lee or I, then she would have won that year. Um, so the Lib Dem vote is solid in Central South Sea. It remains to be seen whether Labour can repeat their unprecedented and as yet unrepeated vote of 2018 or not. And I guess we'll just have to wait until next weekend and find out. Uh, the, the thing we hear over and over again on the doorstep from residents is that they know how hard Susie and I work for them. We both gave up our other part-time work to concentrate on full-time as, as councillors because we be both believe that in order to do the job well, it needs a huge amount of commitment. We both answer emails and phone calls all week long, day and night, including weekends. I'm personally supporting a lady who's suffering from horrendous antisocial behaviour from a neighbour at the moment. And we exchange texts most evenings, sometimes as late as midnight, just so she knows there's someone there for her. Uh, I've several other residents who need similar support at the moment, and it's a core part of what I do as a local councillor in Central South Sea Ward. I try to be there for everyone whenever they need me, and I think that does go a very long way when it comes to election time. So let's see what happens on Thursday. But I do work very hard for local people and I know that they do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, would anybody like to make use of the rebuttal? Okay, um, Ian, just to call out if um, there is a question that we can use from the comments if we, um, if we needed to, to slot an extra one in at all. Marvellous. So, so next question. A very short one, this one. Clean air zone for Portsmouth. Good or a bad idea? Charlotte. You're in. It's a good idea, 
but in Portsmouth, badly implemented. And it goes back to the earlier question about consultation, transparency, and it confirms what I said before, which is that you can't enact meaningful change if you don't deliberate with people and take them with you. Air pollution is a major problem and nobody wants air pollution or is happy with it. Um, and, you know, I thought the manner in which the whole thing was handled and its reduced scope really wasn't good enough for Portsmouth. We all want cleaner air and this can be done. And a great example of where a clean air zone was delivered well was in um, Labour run Oxford. Um, there they had a climate assembly which led the proposals for the clean air zone and it was resident business and community led. We want to see that approach here in Portsmouth and a climate assembly as one of our manifesto commitments. Thank you, Charlotte. Charlie. Um, this is mostly on the western side of the city. I think we all want cleaner air and a healthier city. Um, colleagues tell me that the council's own data is at odds with the government modelling um, and that is an ongoing problem. But also, residents in Central Southsea haven't mentioned it once as a campaign issue. Obviously, it's on the government's radar as they are the ones setting into pace on this issue. Obviously, in Labour-run Southampton, it's been controversial with many problems and the council have wasted a lot of money mucking about with trying to please everybody, but ultimately pleasing no one, if you believe the press. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. And finally, Steve. Thanks, Ian. It's a bad idea. Um, and I'm really glad that I managed to secure an amendment on the Goldsmith Avenue side that excluded the uh, Fratton Bridge roundabout because otherwise it would have shoved a load more traffic through the very area that Charlotte was concerned about with speeding earlier on. Um, and therefore, changes did need to be made after the consultation. We asked the government to give Portsmouth the money to carry out a range of interventions which would have sorted out the air quality problem more effectively and would have been a better long term impact rather than just allowing people to pay to pollute. It is important to remember that cars are not affected by this CAZ, so nothing is going to improve there. We have limited resources to improve a tiny number of HGVs, and the intervention with taxis doesn't provide anywhere near the support we asked for. If government had given PCC the funding they are spending on the CAZ, we could have upgraded all the non-compliant taxis, moved our waste vehicles over to electric straight away, introduced bus subsidies to encourage people out of their cars, improved cycling and walking routes at a faster pace, and even offered a scrappage scheme to older diesel cars. Instead, we have a CAZ that will simply shove the polluting traffic into other areas of the city and, in my view, solve nothing. I know Labour called for a citywide zone, but they obviously didn't understand that the zone needed to be implemented on the smallest footprint possible in a, a, to achieve compliance. In fact, they complained that London Road and Fratton Road were removed from the zone when they could have been left in, but didn't seem to appreciate that this would have just displaced even more pollution elsewhere in the city, meaning the areas that are currently compliant would not have been. They were only removed because the evidence said that the inclusion would have been a negligible impact on compliance being achieved. And when balancing that with increasing pollution elsewhere, we feel that, that we made the right choice. But the right choice is not to have this zone at all and invest in better transport for Portsmouth. Thank you, Steve. Does anybody want to come back? Yeah, I'd just like to say something. Oh, you can go first, Charlotte, if you like. You go, and no, it's okay. Okay, I was just, I was just going to say I agree with you. I, mean, I think you made some good points. Um, one way to reduce pollution is to build off the islands. Yet the Lib Dems and Labour have both blocked these developments. Thank you, 
Charlotte? I mean, really, this point comes back to the lack of consultation and strategy and vision. And we had something like a climate assembly that Oxford City Council had, um, where you are truly engaging with all of the parts of the community to come up with a strategy that works for everybody. Then you get buy-in and you you implement a clean air zone that, that works for people and, and what people want. Um, I mean, I... I have to say a lot of people actually, Charlie, on the doorstep do worry about pollution. They do worry about um, congestion. Um, they worry about the amount of cars on the road. They know it's not sustainable and they need and we need to find solutions to, to support, um, you know, what residents are calling for and to, and to address the, the severe issues with um, pollution, particularly around our schools and nurseries in some parts of the city. It's worse than it is in London. I mean, to ignore that and to say that a clean air zone as, as an approach doesn't work is just wrong. The point is it can, but we have to take people with us. And that's why I'm really proud of Labour's commitment to hold a climate assembly. It worked in Oxford and it can work here. Thank you, Charlotte. Yeah. Um, Steve, yep. Yeah, I'll be very very quick. Um, there was a full citywide consultation on the implementation of the clean air zone. Um, it can be cast in different ways that it wasn't the consultation other people wanted, but it is factually correct to say that there was a heavily promoted citywide consultation on the introduction of the clean air zone. Perfect. Thank you all. Simon, would you like to throw in the bonus question and we'll use the running order that we were going to do for our, our question 11? Okay, no problem. So, um, so this is a question that's come into the uh, into the live stream comments. Um, so, what are your views um, regarding um, the actual actions regarding the current environmental issues around Tip the West and Aquind projects? Um, and I'd like to um, put that question first to. I'm sorry, I've lost my place in the thing. I'll put that question first Charlie. to Charlie. Aquind is a terrible idea. Um, I was at the original protest um, at Milton Common where we stood um, and I, I will stand against it when elected. And that's all I have to say on it. It will dis disrupt the city too much and it's a terrible idea. I think most of us will come to a consensus with that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and the same question to Steve. Thanks, Simon. Uh, the Aquin, all parties agree on this. The Aquin proposal is madness. And there's some very big questions to be asked at a national level about what's gone on here with this process and where donations have been made. There needs to be a full investigation into it. But we simply don't need it in the most heavily congested city in uh, on the south coast of England. It's absolutely bonkers proposal and none, none of us support it and we're all campaigning against it. So that's an easy one. Uh, on Tipner West, um, I've been very clear. We have the environmental assessments taking place now. Uh, I've provided funding to the Hampshire and Wildlife Trust to actually employ an environmental consultant that the council's paying for to work on behalf of the trust to hold the council to account. But there are some big issues with the land and water in that part of the in that part of the harbour. Um, because of the previous use of the land, there's all sorts of contaminants leaching into the soil, some of which we believe are entering the watercourse and leaching out into the harbour. So. I know it's protected habitat, but we need to find out exactly what environmental damage has already taken place and what will be needed to solve it before moving forward. I am not wedded 
to the development at Tipna West. However, we do need to understand that if we don't put three and a half thousand thousand homes there, we need to put three and a half thousand homes somewhere else in Portsmouth. And that means the equivalent of 25 tower blocks, the size of Horatia and Leamington House, dumped on Portsea Island. And because of the way the government planning rules work, that could be on Bransbury Park, or it could be on Alexandra Park, or it could indeed be on Milton Common. So it's not a very simple process, this, but we are absolutely committed to doing this in an open and transparent way and making sure we're held to account. And my commitment is that if I I am returned on Thursday, I will personally be leading a cross-party group working group on this to make sure that all parties are fully informed in the process to make sure that any decisions we do make are the right ones for the natural environment and for the people of Portsmouth. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, And then lastly to Charlotte. Thank you, Simon. Um, yes, I mean, uh, Labour totally oppose um, the Aquin plans and, you know, it, it cannot happen. It cannot tear up our city and our green spaces. That, yeah, that is categorically the case. And I'm glad that we're all in agreement with that. Um, I also agree with Steve as well, though, that there are some very dodgy dealings that have happened at a national level with um, the relevant Conservative ministers in terms of large donations potentially to the Tory party, which might have been the reason why we've seen this happen, you know, even mooted as an idea, is absolutely ludicrous and it has has to be opposed at all costs. And um, I'm really proud that Portsmouth Labour has committed to oppose um, Aquind at all levels, including going to judicial review if necessary. Um, So yeah, our views are very clear on that. With regards to the Tipner um, regeneration, it's, yeah, it needs a complete rethink. I mean, if local environmental groups are saying that it will have a disastrous effect on local biodiversity, on wildlife and on our green spaces, then we should be listening to those experts. Portsmouth already really lacks green space. We need to be protecting our green space at all costs. And any development that does happen also needs to include social housing. We have an absolutely terrible record in Portsmouth of building new homes that have, in the end, zero social housing. Obviously, I am aware that part of this is because of national policy, which is imposed on councils. And I'm not saying that it's easy for local authorities to encourage social housing to be included in developments. And developers, unfortunately, do everything they can to force councils to not have social housing included. But again, other councils are building social housing. Nearby Southampton Council has built a number of council homes in the last year. So any new development needs to protect the environment and have genuinely affordable homes for the people of Pompey. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, Would anybody like to make use of their 60-second rebuttal? Yes, please, Simon. Okay, Steve. Uh, just for clarif- just for clarification, really, we are building council homes. We've recently uh, finished a project on the former Southie Community Centre site, uh, and we are have a large program at the moment of buying back former council properties when they come on the market, because obviously it makes sense. They're in areas where we already have housing management, and it means that we can uh, manage them cost effectively, and it provides homes for local people and gets people off the waiting list for the first time in decades. This year, at the end of the financial year, Portsmouth City Council has more council house accommodation available than it did at the start of the year. And this is just the start. We've got going. We've got more to do. 
but we are going to attack that housing waiting list. We are going to build more social housing and we are going to hold developers to account to make sure they're delivering affordable housing where required. And that includes our own schemes. However, on the planning process, we need to go through that first and not make promises we can't keep. Thank you very much. Um, would either of the other candidates like to use their rebuttal? Charlotte. Yes, please. Um, I just think at the moment with council homes, we're not building them quick enough. Um, you know, we've got waiting lists of 80 years, so it's just, it's, it's not good enough. We need a bold vision for making social housing and council housing accessible to as many people um, possible. And um, there's definitely more that, that can be done. It's done in other cities and, you know, we need that here. Um, and I, it was really sad. I knocked on a resident's door this week um, who works, she's an ambulance worker. And she said she can't afford her rent. She can't afford to buy anywhere, but she can't get access to council housing either. These, these stories are not uncommon. This irrelevant to countless residents in central Southsea and they desperately need genuinely affordable homes built in every development in Portsmouth. And that's just not what we're seeing at the moment with the, the housing that's coming out. Thank you very much. Okay, so Ian, last question. So final question, and I would ask you to be brief on this just so that we can keep to time. So as we come out of lockdown, what are your hopes for the balance of 2021 in Portsmouth? And I'll ask that first to Steve. Thanks, Ian. Um, getting the economy moving again, uh, getting our cultural and creative industries back on their feet. We were thriving uh, just over a year ago. We need to make that make sure that that, that momentum is not lost. Uh, we also need to make sure our tourism economy re recovers. Remember, 9 million visitors a year to the city supported 13,000 jobs pre-COVID. It's absolutely vital that we're making that happen again, all whilst, of course, trying to make sure we keep people safe. Um, supporting local business is crucial. Um, making sure that the um, aftermath of the pandemic is addressed in some of the ways that I've talked about this evening through supporting children to, and young people to catch up where possible, investing in social care, looking after people who may be suffering from long COVID and getting our communities working together to provide the huge strength that they have when we all get together behind a common goal and that's to build Portsmouth back better. Thank you, Steve. And, and Charlotte? Thank you, Ian. Obviously, we've had a hugely challenging 12 months as a country and as a city. And while there is a tendency to focus on a lot of the bad, of the bad news, I think it's also really important for us to stress the positives. A year ago, we barely understood how this thing worked. And today, around 70% of the people in the UK have antibodies. And we have half a dozen vaccines that work. And when you look elsewhere, there are some really positive stories about how we can build back better. Labour-run Exeter Council has an in-house building developer. They're building 500 new socially owned homes to passive house standard over the next couple of years, which basically means they require virtually no energy because they're so energy efficient. In Preston, also Labour-run, you've got an economic model that keeps money inside the city rather than giving it to outsourcing giants. In Manchester, you've got at Labour's Andy Burnham now looking to create a London-style bus franchising system. You've got the Future Generations Act in Wales, which was brought in by a Labour government, which builds into public policy what kind of legacy we're leading, leaving future generations from climate to infrastructure. So I think there's some really positive stuff out there, which makes me hugely optimistic for the future, and which you don't often hear about. But realistically, to make 
these things more than just pockets of an alternative. We need to recognise that politics, as we've been doing it over the past 40 years, is increasingly incapable of solving problems. So, yes, there are issues we need to address, but actually many of the alternatives are already there. And, um, and we know how to build back cleaner, happier, more prosperous towns and cities. Seconds. It's just about having the vision and the political will to carry it out. Thank you, Charlotte. And finally, Charlie. So first and foremost, that the economy turbocharges um, in bounce back, as is now being predicted by the economists. Um, secondly, ensuring children have the opportunity to catch up on mislearning and development. Um, and thirdly, that we learn lessons about work-life balance and uh, we start to take issues around isolation and loneliness more seriously. Um, loneliness is a killer and too many elderly and vulnerable and shielding people have been alone with only a TV, a pop-in of a carer, being their only company. It's heartbreaking. There's more we can do. Um, the boys in Copner set up a community cafe with the local residents of Anchorage Park about five to six years ago. The helped residents meet every, every two weeks for a cafe afternoon. The community centre with a table tennis, with table tennis, tea, coffee, cake, quizzes, and more, more to tackle loneliness. That's just one example of what I hope to do when elected. Thank, Thank you, you, Charlie. So that brings to an end the questions. And so if I can invite each of the candidates Was it, to did make anyone their want to rebuttal on any of those at all? Oh. Sorry. Oh, I thought they were nice enough that nobody would rebut anybody. Just in case. No. Apologies for jumping in. That's all right. No problem. So I would invite each of the candidates now to make their closing statement, starting first with Charlotte Gerada from Labour. Thank you, Ian. So I've spoken to hundreds of residents over the last year, and while almost everyone shares how much they love Southsea, many also share the frustration with the lack of consultation, bold vision and ideas from the council, especially around addressing the climate emergency. I want to be your Labour councillor in Central Southsea, not just because I love my community and I want to serve it, but also because I have the skills and experience to do a good job. I've worked for nonprofits and supported grassroots groups for over a decade, and I've been instrumental in winning a multitude of environmental and social justice campaigns. Most proudly, when I worked at Shelter, I secured £125 million in a 2017 autumn budget for low-income renters, and I helped prevent the closure of an LGBT plus pub in London. Most importantly, though, I am an excellent listener. I believe the best ideas come from the bottom up where residents, businesses and workers are listened to, listened to and lead change in their communities. So if you think that I'd make a good councillor, please get involved in my campaign. You can find me on social media or you can email me at charlotteforsalsea at gmail.com. And just huge thanks again um, to Ian and Simon for inviting me on tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. And now Steve Pitt, Liberal Democrat. Thank you, Ian. Uh, I'd like to thank Charlotte and Charlie for the hustings tonight and uh, first to Simon and Ian as well uh, for arranging and hosting it. Um, Portsmouth's in my bones. Uh, I love uh, this city. It's my city. I want to see it thrive. Uh, I want to continue to work on behalf of the community, both in Central South Sea and across Portsmouth. Uh, I want to be around to see St Margaret's reach its full potential and support Fran and the team, to see the refurbishment of Orchard Road Park take place, to see the improvement project I've initiated on Fawcett Road completed, 
to support the homeless groups I work alongside and to help the residents who reach out for support and rely on me to be there for them. I truly hope to be able to do all of that as a councillor, but if I can't, uh, and the, uh, the good people of Central Southsea choose another path, then I will remain committed to our city as I have for so many years and continue to champion our cultural and creative community with whom I have worked and worked for for so long. Thank you all. Thank you, Steve. And finally, Charlie Douglas from the Conservatives. First of all, thank you, Simon and Ian, for hosting this. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to represent Central South Sea. Um, I look forward to campaigning for cleaner, safer streets and to tackle antisocial behaviour, as well as being a voice for residents. I will listen to you. I will represent you to the best of my ability and properly consult you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you to all of our contributors this evening. Um, it has been lovely to hear the, the voices of all three parties firsthand. So with our thanks, you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. Our guests have been Charlie Douglas from the Conservative Party, Charlotte Gerarda from the Labour Party and Steve Pitt from the Liberal Democrats. And I've been Simon Sansbury. And don't forget, our next show will be Wednesday, the 5th of May at 6.27pm, where we'll predict the outcome of the local elections. And then on the Sunday, we'll, get it, we'll discuss how wrong we were. How wrong you, you were. Well. You always get it wrong. <laughs> well, we shall see. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>